0: Good morning, church. Man, oh man, did we have an amazing time for VBS. I mean, you guys saw the picture. That was the self-appointed jester. Um, I appointed myself. They didn't ask, hey, we need a jester. I just said, I want to be the jester. I just want to go. I just want to be there. And my whole job during that time, especially that song that was playing during that video... Oh man, that was like the craziest song. Could we let the kids just run around and I'd be like the biggest kid. But my main job was to do this to the kids, go, Woohoo like that. And get them to do the same thing and get the whole group going, all hundred and some kids going, Woohoo and the little kids are going, woohoo. You know, they're so cute. But uh hey, it was a great, great outreach for our community. I mean for our church, you know, the, the in in part of it, the in reach of just strengthening our kids, but they, we were able to reach out to our community because there was a lot of kids, and I knew, I knew half of them, maybe. Uh, a lot of the parents that were coming and dropping their kids off, and they're like tripping, you know, going, what's going on back there, you know? And, and they're just in awe, their kids, I mean, just hearing the praise reports of, of the parents and uh, what these kids are sharing. Now, again, we had all these kids except the Lord, and I want you guys to be praying for them Because you might think, well, they're just little kids. Jesus told us that we need to come with the faith like those little kids. Those little kids can't tell you theology. They can't teach you theology. They might not understand the resurrection. They might not understand some of the things that you might understand. But sometimes we complicate it because Jesus said, come like they do. They simply believe. Because they might not know all that you know, but this they do know. Jesus loves them. And they, they raise their hand and they say, I want that. And so be praying for them because some of those kids were going home to parents that don't know Jesus. They just heard about it. You know, we were able to put flyers in the schools and they came because of that. You know, they, friends told friends and people were coming. And so be praying for those families. Be praying that God would just do a m- mighty awesome work in their lives um, and just see the fruit, see what happens in the, in the future. Amen? Amen? Let us prepare our hearts as we get into the word here. <clears throat> It's quiet our hearts, Lord, right now. Thank you, Lord. Father, open up your word to us, Lord, and help me to teach it with clarity. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn, if you will, this morning to the book of James. We are still in James chapter 1. We have at least one more study in that chapter. Um if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks since we started the book of James, um, hopefully you, you, you've already gotten to know James a little bit. But, but that you would know this about James: James is a no-nonsense kind of guy. He 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 just doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't dilly-dally. He doesn't he he he, he doesn't do none of those things. He gets right to the point. The point. He gets down to the nitty-gritty. You know, he just gets down to it, man. He, he, he's just that type of guy. Now, I don't know about you, but when there's those kinds of people that, that kind of just like tell it like it is. You know, have you ever run into people, or maybe you're one of them, um, <laughs> that just tell it like it is? Um, they can be pretty downright mean just because, hey, I'm just going to tell it like it is. And, and sometimes those kinds of people can get on our nerves because they, they they don't see anything wrong with just being up front and just telling it like it is. Now don't get me wrong, I want people to be up front with me. But I also want it to be mixed with some love behind it. <laughs> because I want to be up front with people. And I want to come across when I, I am up front with somebody, when I have to talk to somebody in, in a pointed way, that it's mixed with love at least, <laughs> Because I don't want to go around hurting people, because oftentimes people that just tell it like it is, man, they're just like wreaking havoc in in the wake. You know, people are just falling down around them. They could like, it's no biggie. They're not mixing it with love. In other words, there has to be a balance when you are going to speak the truth. Getting to the point especially if the point is going to be sharp you want to be able to share it with love ephesians 4:15 tells us but speaking the word or speaking the truth in love there has to be love associated with truth because some truth when we say well i just want to speak the truth you're going to devastate people you're going to hurt people and so love needs to be A balance to the truth. Because without love, people are devastated. People are hurt. And maybe you've been there. (laughs) Either you've received it or you've dished it out. And you know the hurt that it has caused. And I believe that that James here, as pointed as he is, he, 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 he balances it out with love. He truly shares that love in his his book here. And the more that I'm studying this book anew, I'm realizing and have a whole new appreciation for James. Because everybody is like, oh, James, you know, James is hardcore. He is. But when you read it and when you see it and when you study it, there is so much love associated with what he says. Because he's not going after them. He's coming alongside of them and teaching them along the way. And I think he does an amazing job in balancing the truth with love in his book. But then again, we see that throughout the Word of God too. There's always truth. It is truth. But man, there's a, there's a love that comes with it. And so even though it seems... That James is, is is coming out with both barrels. He has both barrels of blazing. And how he deals with the testing of our faith, there is love mixed in around it. Again, the theme of the book being uh, practical Christian living, I think the underlining theme for this chapter that we have covered, and, and we'll cover, is a faith that is not tested cannot be trusted. I think that is the underlining theme of this verse, because it's talking about the testing of our faith, which is totally, totally necessary. Testing is the source of producing it, it is in the, in, in, the, in, in the wake of testing that we produce something. And so I believe that our, te- our faith should be tested each and every day. And some of you are going, I don't want testing every day. It's like, no, you need it. You totally need it. And, you, know, you would be satisfied with like once a month testing. It's like, no, no. Faith or the testing of our faith produces patience. And again, people are don't pray for patience. Don't you be praying for patience. It's like, you know what, regardless if you pray for patience or not, patience is what we need to learn. And so God will, will give us a test so that we can produce patience, regardless if you pray it or not, peeps. Regardless. <laughs> patience, which is endurance. It's that staying power that we need each and every day. To walk with God. We need that. We need the testing of our faith. So it can produce the patience. The endurance. That staying power that we can hang in there. That we can endure. That's what it causes. It causes us. Because of those things. It causes us to mature. And again my heart is that you mature. As a Christian. And if you've been walking with the Lord for a while. That you would continue to mature. And not get stale. And not think that you've arrived to a certain position, a plateau, and that's it. That's all I can learn, peeps. Don't. Don't get there. You want to continue to grow. That should be the goal, or one of the goals of a Christian, is to mature. A Christian who does not mature, as James puts it, will be unstable in all his ways, all the time. He will be driven by the sea back and forth constantly. He will never be able to have consistent victory in his life because he's immature. Because he's satisfied with just being tested every once in a while. He doesn't want to go through the testings. No. Allow those testings to to come our, our way because it does produce in us the patience that we need. We can become productive if we're being tested you know a child who never learns to walk will never be able to run he just won't and it's pretty painful when you start seeing kids learning how to walk because they're falling all the time they're very unstable but they're learning again my kids are already old but but watching my grandkids learning how to walk you almost want to protect them but they have to they have to go through the pain so that they can mature so that they can grow It's a painful process. But as they learn how to walk and as they learn how to run, they become more and more productive in the process. And so let us grow up. (laughs) Let us allow God to grow us up so that we can mature and become mature Christians. Oh, it will be painful in the process. It has to be. But like we read last week, We will be complete, lacking nothing. We will have what we need. Because we've allowed that to happen, being victorious in Him and productive for Him. James chapter 1, beginning of verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy. When you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, For he who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers like withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty, beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuit. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. We'll cover into verse 18, but we'll stop right there for the moment. Keep in mind, as we cover from 9 through 12, keep in mind that the the, the topic that we have been covering, the trials and testings, it's almost as if as he gets to this portion, James levels off the playing field. He, he, he is speaking to, to Christians from both sides of the track, the rich and the poor. He, he is speaking to them. And I think oftentimes we have the mindset that those who are rich, those who have means, those who, who can, we, we often have the mindset that that they don't struggle as much as those who don't have. We, we, we think that those who are rich, who have means, can buy themselves out of just about any situation. And we often think, man, if I only had their money or their situation, I wouldn't be struggling. Because we think that the poor, well, they just have to deal with the, with the, with, with the cards that they've been dealt. Poor them. And James, what he's saying here is that, no, I, he, God will level out the playing field. In the physical sense, we see that the rich oftentimes do have an advantage over the poor. In the physical sense. There are times that we have seen that on display because you can see that a rich man and a poor man can commit the same crime. And the rich man can get off more likely than the poor man will. Because he will use every means possible to get out of it. And we've seen that play out in our society. And so in the physical realm, we see that, that there's a possibility that, that the rich man does have an, a, a, an advantage over the poor. But it's not so in the economy of God. <laughs> it doesn't happen like that in the economy of God because the difference is that God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't care what you have or what you don't have. He doesn't look at you in that way. He is never swayed by your power or your money or your prestige he's not he's just not swayed by any of that he doesn't get impressed by you in that sense you know what i'm saying he's not like oh he has a lot i better take care of him or oh well he's not that important because he doesn't have enough god doesn't look at it that way it says that he exalts the poor and he humbles the rich and again, it's almost like he, he levels off the playing field. He shows the poor their worth. At the same time, he's showing the, the rich their frailty. That the riches cannot buy them out of the situation. So because God is not a respecter of person, he will test both alike. He gets them on the same level. And he looks at them at the same level. And that's what James is trying to get across because apparently there was situations going on in, in these people that he's writing to between the haves and the have nots, the rich and the poor. And he shows them that that God is is not more for you because of who you are, and he's not more against you because of who you are. Proverbs twenty two two says the rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker. Of them all. He's the maker of both of them. He knows them. And so because he levels off the playing field... He kind of puts it like this... That both can glory in their trials. Both of them. The poor can't say... It is because I am poor that I'm going through this, and the rich can't say, I am rich, and it will get me out of this whole situation. No, oftentimes, the rich, when they're going through, or those of means, when they're going through a difficulty that is beyond their control, they would give everything up to fix this, but they can't. And they would be willing to lose it all to to fix the situation in their life. You see, the riches can't get them out of some of these trials and some of these tribulations that they go through. The faith of all men, rich and poor, needs to be tested. Both need to know that their status in life has nothing to do with their building of patience, (laughs) with what it means to endure It doesn't matter what your status is to build your character. You you know, it's interesting that here in this section, James expounds a little bit more on the rich than on the poor. Because the rich have a tendency, a propensity to, to trust in their riches. It's hard for them. Jesus even said, it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a poor man. It's easier for a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle, literally, than for a rich man to enter into heaven, he said. And the reason being, because they have all that they need. They lack nothing, it seems like. And so so, so James here is, is expounding a little bit more. And as he, he's expounding, we need to understand that he is not getting down on them for being rich. He's not taking the side of the poor because then he would be a respecter of persons. Oftentimes we think of a a respecter of persons if you respect those who have and you disrespect those who have not. Well, it could be an opposite effect as well when you you respect those who have not and you disrespect those who have. Again, you're playing that that game of being a respecter of persons and you're not supposed to do that. We'll learn that in chapter 2. But what he's trying to help us understand here is that we need to have love to help us understand and to put things in perspective. Because He's showing love to them. He's telling them, just because you're rich, it doesn't matter. God still loves you and He will bring you down to this level. And just because you're poor, God still loves you and He will bring you up and and make it a level playing field to God. We need to understand that, that it all revolves around this love. And it's interesting because Jesus touched on this on the Sermon on the Mount. And Gary Warwick will be touching on this this week, uh, this Thursday. Because in uh, in Matthew chapter 6, he he expounds on on the way that the rich trust in their riches. Their heart is often in the place of their riches. And he finishes by saying, you can't serve two masters. You've got to choose between the two. Who are you going to trust in? I won't go any further because I'll steal Gary's message and then you won't show up. <coughs> Proverbs 23.5 says, Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle towards heaven. I, I, I have found that those who, who trust in their riches who, who, who really pursue that or, or have it all, they're more likely to fall way harder than the normal person that's just struggling to get by. You know, the, 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 the normal person that's struggling to get by, it's like, well, if he gets sick and he misses one day, it's not a devastation. Well, sometimes it is, but not all, all the time. Whereas the rich, man, they miss one paycheck, man, and their whole life can come trump, uh, tumbling down because they have so much and they have to, they have to uh, live way up here. And they have a bigger fall. If riches or the pursuit of riches is what defines a man, that rich man will fade away, like it says, like a flower of the field which perishes with the burning sun. So, whether you're rich or poor, have a proper perspective when it comes to trials. Oh, God will level out the playing field. But it's not to go out to hurt you. It's to treat you with respect because he respects all. He's not a respecter of persons just because you have this or you don't have this. Because when you allow him to test you in this way, to have a proper perspective, it will help you to mature. Whether you're rich or poor, God wants you to mature. And so it's not your lack of riches or your abundance of riches that will get you through the trials. It is your riches in Christ that will get you through the trials. That's where we need to put our dependence, our trust. Verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptations, for when he is approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. I want to read it to you through the Amplified. It says, Blessed, happy, to be envied is the man who is patient under trial and stands up under temptation. For when he has stood the test and been approved, he will receive the victor's crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Sounds very much like a beatitude that we've been covering on Thursday night. That we covered in chapter 5. The the, the similarities are are striking here. As you read verse 12, it could go right along with with Matthew chapter 5. Oh, blessed. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. It's interesting because even though it sounds like a beatitude... James, the writer of this book, was nowhere near the mount when Jesus spoke these Beatitudes to his disciples. Because at that moment, he was not a disciple of Christ. He wasn't a believer in him. That was crazy at the time. And yet we see these amazing similarities in the book of James. But what he does, what James does here, he goes back to his first premise. To the argument that he was making in in, in verse 2 where he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various temptations. He's getting back to that that premise there. That it's all about our attitude when we fall into various temptations. Not that we would desire these trials and, and temptations, but that when we are in them, that our attitude, we would have a proper perspective because of it. And so it's about, all about attitude, attitude, attitude in our trials and temptations. Outlook determines outcome most of the time. That's how we're looking at it. The, the word approved here in this verse is tried, which means proven to be accepted, pleasing. In other words, it has stood the test, and has passed. <laughs> and it stood up to the test, and it has passed. For those, he says, who, who have been approved, who have been tested, who have, who have stayed, you know, in, 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 to the test, stood up to the test, to those who are pleasing, he will give the crown of life. The, the, the promise is, if you endure... If you persevere and not give up, you will never be disappointed if you hang in there. If you have that steadfastness of hanging in there through the trials, through the tribulations, through the temptations, you will not be disappointed because you will receive the crown of life, that victor's crown which leads to life. And I truly believe that he is not just speaking about the life to come, but in this life as well, that we can have and wear the victor's crown today. Because he hung on the cross to give us victory. It says in the Bible that that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus our Lord who loved us. We are more than conquerors in this life and also in the life to come. But we can have the victories now. And then he says at the end of that verse, to those who love him. And it's interesting that he says that he didn't say to those who trust him. He didn't say to those who obey Him, but to those who love Him. You see, it is love that should be the motivating factor behind everything we do, everything we go through, everything that we must do, the things that we do and don't do. Love is what should motivate us. We shouldn't desire to be good to be good for good's sake. We should be good because we love Jesus. We can endure temptation because we know that God loves us. Because we know that He loves us, we should be able to endure temptation. Because we know that if He loves us, He will never do anything to harm us. Ever. Ever. So we ought to love Him because He first loved us. Because without love, we would not be able to totally trust Him. Without that kind of love, we wouldn't be able to obey Him. When we are without love, that is when we become double-mindedness. That's when we begin to be tossed to and fro all over the place because we're not steadfast in our love towards Him because He loves us. We become unstable in all, all our ways. And you know, this this is a great reminder for us. I know as I was studying, you know, the, the, the Lord just really impressed it on my heart. What a reminder for me that He loves me. James, James is driving this point home that, that we can endure temptation not because I trust Him, but because I love Him. We can endure temptation, not because I'm obedient, but because I love him. Again, it, it should be the motivating factor behind everything we do. Love. Because when we forget, or should I say, when we ignore the fact that God is love, because it's hard to forget that, we just ignore it. When we ignore that God is love, and that he has shown us his love. We begin to act out on, on our own desires and lusts. That is when we we, we begin to walk away. When, when we ignore the love of God. And we start acting off on our own. Love is not a, a factor at that point anymore. Not our love for him. We We, we don't do... That which is imperative, that which is the most important, that which we must do, what is necessary, because we, we ignore the love of God. And when we begin to ignore the love of God, we begin to lean onto our own understandings. We begin to do what is right in our own eyes instead. <laughs> Pretty selfish of us. but we are a selfish people. When we take our eyes off of the love of God, we become pretty selfish. Verse 13 through 18. says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the, the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will... He brought us forth by the word of of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. He says, let no one say when they are tempted, I am tempted by God. I I think James puts this here because he knew that someone would be thinking, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What, what, What gives here? We've been talking about trials and and temptations, and that God allows these things to happen in our lives. We've covered that. Well, what what do you mean? As as we read through these scriptures here, we have to understand where these trials and where these temptations are coming from. what, What are the motives behind these trials and temptations that come our way? Are the trials and temptations that are coming our way motivated to lift us up or to tear us down? When, when, when these trials and temptations, do they involve love or evil? Will they produce life or death in us? And again, you might be thinking, man, that's, that's a lot to think about. It's a, absolutely. Because we are to be thinking about these things all the time. Because these trials and these temptations never stop, it seems like, right? And so we can't just sit idly by and just let everything pass our way. That's what immature babies do. They just let it happen. No, there's a, there's a part in us that we are to stand up and begin to walk in this Christian life. And we begin to think, okay, this trial, this temptation, is it from God or is it from the enemy? Is it to build me up or to tear me down? Because if it's to tear me down, then I've got to put things in perspective. Lord, now it's the enemy. How do I battle this? How do we battle this, Lord? How do you come in front? Because again, if you just sit ba- back and do nothing, then the enemy will have his way with you constantly because you're never on your guard. You're sitting around, twiddling your thumbs, doing nothing, like a little baby. We have to know and we have to learn difference because we can't go around saying God is the one that's making me sin because He's allowing these temptations in my life. We can't go around saying that. That He is tempting us to do what is against Him and His nature. We can't because God doesn't do that. It tells us here, no, let no one say, that he is tempted when he is tempted, that I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone. God is incapable of doing that. When you read verses 14 and 15, where it says, "But let each one, but but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed." Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Quite the contrary from verse 12, where it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Quite a contrast. When we put things in perspective, where is this trial coming from? Where is this temptation coming from? We need to understand it. We need to look at it. For those who endure, when when they see what's coming against them, and when they, they are able to endure and be able to stand under the temptation, they will receive a reward. It is the crown of life. But those who give in to temptation also receive a reward. Death. 1st Corinthians chapter t- uh, 10 verse 13 Some of you are familiar with this verse It says no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may will be that you may be able to bear it. Now, this verse is often misquoted and Tony Spampanato alluded to it on Thursday night. People often often will say, God won't give me more than I can handle. This verse is not talking about that. He's talking about temptation. God will not give you more temptation than you are able to bear because With it, He will give you a way of escape. So whenever you're tempted, you will never be tempted above what what you can't get away from. There will always be that door for you. Whenever temptation rises up, there will always be an escape because God promised it. But there are are many who who say, No, God won't give me more than I can handle. It, It doesn't say that in that verse. There are many things in our lives that we cannot handle. There are things that just devastate us and there is no way that we can get through them except through Jesus Christ. That's why we need Him to lean on Him. Sometimes there is no escaping those kinds of trials. You have to go through them and they're devastating and they crush you. (laughs) And you're going, but God can't give me more. It's like, no, that's why He's there. That's why He offers His Holy Spirit for strength through those times. When you're talking about temptation, He will always, He won't give you more than you can handle in that, in temptation. Always make that way of escape. So the times that we are just being crushed because we can't handle it, that's when we lean on Jesus. That's when we trust in Him. You see, temptation is not a sin. And we know that because Jesus was tempted and, and He was sinless. He, he, had, he, he overcame temptation when it came His way. It is the giving into temptation that causes us to sin. So when people say, no, there was no way out of this temptation. Or when they say, oh, the devil made me do it. The old Flip Wilson, Geraldine. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, no, there's always a, a way out. We, we we can't use that lame excuse. There was no way out. Like, no, there was. Whenever you are being tempted, and, and, and now put yourself in this situation, when you are being tempted, and you know when you are, look for that way of escape. Because I could guarantee you, there will always be that little voice in your head, go, turn that way instead of going that way. Look at that instead of looking that. It's like, I know, but it's so hard. It's like, but there's a way of escape, isn't it? And there there there's a way of escape there. That word enticed, when you're being drawn away, that word enticed means to be lured, to be baited, like a fish that is caught on a hook. It has been enticed to grab onto the bait. I'm not a fisherman, but I don't think fish just like to go and get hooked. It's like, oh, shiny thing. There's something that that lures them there so that they can bite it. And all of a sudden it's like, dang it. They're they're hooked. And that's kind of what happens to us. Something allures us there and we get there and we bite on it. And it's like, I can't believe I did this. Because you're looking at, at the bait. If temptation is not alluring, then it's not temptation. Sure, Satan can and will set the bait, but it is up to us to act on that or not. We get the privilege of choosing every time there's the temptation that comes our way. And most of us have been around long enough to know better, right? We all do. Most of us have been walking, a lot of us have been walking with the Lord long enough to know that, man, there is nothing new that Satan throws at us. It is all the same. When we are drawn away by our own desires, our own lust, our own selfishness, that is when we get ourselves in trouble. That's when we start feeling selfish, or not selfish, guilty, because of what we've just done. (laughs) Because we knew it. You fell for it, and then the guilt came in. Ah! Satan has nothing new under his sleeve or up his sleeve. He's been using the same bait from the very beginning, from the very beginning. And 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 here's here's the bait. This is what Satan uses all the time. It's in First John chapter two, verses three or verse sixteen. John, First John two sixteen. It says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of this world. He is the master at that. Those are the three things that will always be out there to lure us into temptation. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That is how he got Adam and Eve in the beginning. Well, let's just say Eve, because she's the one that blew it. Just being honest here. (laughs) Adam was the idiot. He just followed along. But that's how he, he tempted Eve. Lust of the flesh. He used all three on her. Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Sucked her in. And she went for it. He always uses those. I mean, there's times that he just uses the lust of the flesh. Or he just uses the lust of the eyes. Or the pride of life. And yet he uses all three on Eve and she fell for it. He tried to use those same three tactics, those three baiting things, on Jesus himself when he was in the wilderness. He tempted him with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And Jesus fought back every time with the Word of God. That's how you fight, (laughs) that's how you say no to temptation. You draw close to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But that's how he baits us, with those three things. And so next time you're you're in, or you're facing a temptation, check it out. What is it? Is it the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, or the pride of life? It will be always one of those things. And so now he gives us, James gives us this this like little biological picture here that, that's vivid and, and to the point in verses 14 or verse 15. He says, when lust or desire conceives, what is born from that conception is sin. And the unmentioned father here is Satan. <laughs> He's the baby daddy on this one. Because he is the father of all sin. And he likes to reproduce always. So when this grotesque child called sin (laughs) matures, it produces its own offspring, death. Which is also related to Satan. And so this family tree is not complicated It's very clear you can trace it trace its history back to the root, the enemy, the father of sin. When when we have unchecked lust or desire, it will yield sin. And when we have unconfessed sin, it will yield to death. And so James is warning his brothers and sisters here don't be deceived. (laughs) Because we deceive ourselves, oftentimes. When when, when we're looking at the temptation, we're going, well, I I can handle this. It's like, don't be deceived, you can't. You can't handle it. We make so many excuses. (laughs) We will be led away when we deceive ourselves. And just like there is a right response to trials which will result in growth spiritually, so there is a wrong response to lust, which will result in spiritual poverty, bankruptcy, spiritually speaking, and ultimately death. The product of yielding to temptation is sin, and sin, when it matures, when it has finished its course, brings forth death. What a vast difference from the crown of life. Huge difference. You see, James doesn't make it complicated, guys. He really doesn't. It's either this or that. (laughs) Very simple. He gets to the point and he drives it home. We are either being built up or torn down by these trials, by these temptations. Everything that happens in our lives is either motivated by love or evil. There is life and there is death. Not complicated. James doesn't make it complicated. Whatever is from the Father of lights is good, always, every time. And whatever is from the Father of darkness is bad, all the time. Not complicated. We just have to figure that out. <laughs> we just have to walk in that and say, okay, Lord, where is this one coming from? And if you're in commun- communication with the Lord, He will reveal it to you. He will reveal if you're going to get built up or torn down, if it's love or evil, or if, you're being, or if there's life or death behind it. He's good. And as Christians, we have decisions to make each and every moment of the day. Every day. You can't rest here. (laughs) Because the temptations will never stop. Ever. The only time that the temptations will stop is when you breathe your last. No more temptations. When you're laying there as a corpse right there, they can tempt you with whatever you've had problems with when you were breathing, and nothing will happen. (laughs) Because you're dead to sin. Completely. Whatever you struggled with, Whatever temptation you had, they could put it right in front of your face and it's like, you're dead. You know, the Bible says that we are to be dead to sin. (laughs) We are to be dead to sin every day. We need to crucify ourselves to Christ so that He can live in us and through us. I want to read as we close the last two verses, 17 and 18, through the Amplified. It says, every good gift And every perfect, free, large, full gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of all that gives light in the shining of whom there is no variation, rising or setting or shadow cast by his turning as in an eclipse. Verse 18. And it was of his own free will that he gave us birth as sons by his word of truth so that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, a sample of what he created to be consecrated for himself. God gave his son willingly. Jesus came of his own free will so that we might be born again. So that we can have a new life. So that we don't have to be sin or slaves to sin. He has freed us. And in Him we can endure and overcome temptation. When we stay close to Him. Choose life. Come under the Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who came to set us free. Jesus has given His life so that we might have the crown of life. But it's only through him. Amen? Let's stand as we close in prayer. Jesus, we thank you once again for your word, for giving to us the things that we need in your word, Lord God, to teach us. Thank you, Lord God, for for making it plain and simple even through the book of James right now, Lord. Father, I know that some who might be struggling at at making these kinds of decisions, it's just hard because we're selfish and we're immature. But I pray, God, that you would teach us what it means to grow through these trials, through the temptations that come our way, that we might be victorious because you've given us the victory already through your Son. You've given us your Spirit that dwells in us that we can have victory day by day. Help us, Lord. I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord. I pray that you would truly capture their hearts, Lord. That, Lord, they would turn to you every moment of the day, every time the temptation rears its ugly head, that we might be able, Lord God, to have victory. And so I pray for them, Lord. I pray for those who have been struggling and falling into temptation daily, constantly, Lord, to where you can't even tell them apart from the world, Lord. Help them, Lord God, to allow you to grow them up to teach them what it means to fall under the Lordship of Jesus, that you might be their strength, Lord. I pray that if there's anyone here, Lord God, this morning who has come, who doesn't know you, that they don't understand that they can, they can fight off any kind of temptation, they fall for it all the time because they know, don't know better, Lord. I pray, God, that you would capture their hearts, that they would become born again. That they would desire you, Lord. Even though it's hard to walk, that they would desire a different life because they're they're fed up with their own. And so save them, I pray, right now, Lord God, in the quietness of their heart, that they would cry out to you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Go with us now, Father. Give us the strength to carry on. To move forward, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, there's people